The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Nash, and on today's episode, we're talking with Tabitha all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia. She's on the east coast of Canada, and if you've ever spent any time on the east or the west coast of Canada, you'll know that we get a lot of rain. Tabitha runs a new startup called Fairchild. That's fair with an E, so F-A-I-R-E, child. It's a brand new startup. She's making raincoats for children out of used plastic bottles that can be recycled at the end of their use as well. Tabitha, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about your company. I read about it on the CBC. I know that your products are made from recycled pet bottles. So tell me about that process. How do you come about getting the plastic to begin with? All of our PET bottles are collected in northern Italy. They have a collection point there. And then they're woven in Italy. They're spun into a new yarn called New Life Yarn. Uh, And then that new life yarn is shipped to our textile mill where they do our fabric. After that point, so we've got a brick. It's got an outer layer membrane, which is waterproof membrane, and then an inner layer membrane, which wicks moisture away from the body, and then membrane in between. So those three layers then get bonded together and shipped to us here in Canada. We manufacture all of our outerwear styles in Burnside, which is from our studio here in Dartmouth. In 2015, Italy passed law number 221. It's called Provisions on the Environment to Promote the Green Economy and to Restrict the Excessive Use of Natural Resources. It focuses on developing new technology, protecting marine environments and natural spaces, and it promotes and provides incentives for green businesses and the generation of green products. A company called Cinterama in Italy collects pet bottles. PET stands for polyethylene terapithylate, and it's a form of polyester used for clothing, food and beverage packaging, and many other uses. So Cinterama collects the PET bottles in bins from consumers. Plastics are then sorted by type and color, then compressed into bales. The bales are sent to another plant, where they are washed, mechanically ground up, made into flakes, and then sent to another facility that houses machines that can spin the plastic into yarn. They're woven into the yarn in northern Italy, and then their yarns are actually taken to Hong Kong, well, south of Hong Kong, where there's a factory that makes our fabric. And then the final stage is sort of done in Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, we have the fabric shipped over, and then the final manufacturer, the cut manufacturer stage, where uh, they have to, all of the seams... So for a 100% waterproof garment, you can't just sew the pieces together and and then have exposed seams because water can penetrate that stitch seam. So we assemble the garment, we stitch it, and then we have to go back into the garment and seam seal all of the seams to make sure it's 100% waterproof. Right. And that's so important, especially when it's cold rain like we have in Canada. Exactly. And 
event is that we are facilitating outdoor play, whatever the weather, and for as long as possible. So the way to achieve that is to make sure that children stay comfy, cozy, and dry all day when jumping in puddles. And even if it's not a rainy day, just puddles and walk through water and go on any adventures they want and make sure that they're staying dry and cozy inside. That's awesome. You know, I had a, a hard time finding a raincoat last spring. I had to go to a whole bunch of stores and I ended up going to Walmart and cheaper stores and couldn't even find them there. It's something that's so important to get children outside. My little kid had a full rain suit when we lived in Victoria and it was great. He just wore that thing every day. He called it his fireman suit and out he went to the mud and the water. So it's really good to to get children outside and enjoy the outdoors because that's how they're going to fall in love with it and take care of it and protect it when they're older. So I love that you're doing this. It is difficult to find 100% waterproof outerwear for children, especially outerwear that isn't made of polyurethane or PVC or you know fabrics that could potentially have chemicals in them that are not necessarily great for children's health. So that was another concern of ours. And all of our fabrics are made of an Ecotech certified, which guarantees the highest level of freedom from hazardous chemicals. Anytime that the process uses water, the water is not with hazardous chemicals in it. Our material is Blue Sign certified and Ecotech certified, and those certifications guarantee the highest level of um, freedom from hazardous chemicals, not only for the end user in the fabric, but actually face so for the environment. So what gave you the idea to start Fairchild? I know that you had children and I'm assuming that you wanted to protect them from these chemicals. And I also heard that you are a fashion designer by trade. Yes. So throughout my studies, I was always inspired by my collections where I was inspired by taking care of the environment. Growing up, I had an interest in trying to preserve our natural world, the detrimental effects of climate change. And of course, Al Gore, you know, we we grew up with that and then didn't see governments taking action until recently with the Paris Accords. So I feel like there's a change is starting to happen now. And there's a lot of energy and interest in transforming the fashion industry into a circular economy. The Copenhagen Fashion Summit uh, is a summit that happens biannually. Now they changed annually and they are pioneering for a circular economy within fashion. So that's what inspired me to create a circular economy within Fairchild where anything we're producing, we're taking responsibility for and taking back. I mean, this is really something that is to design with fabrics that are suitable for a circular economy. So cradle to cradle certified fabrics are a perfect example of creating a fabric that can either be technically recycled or biodegraded at the end of its life and not end up in a landfill. And I mean, textile waste is a huge, and the textile industry is one of the largest polluters second to oil in the world. So, if, I mean, if this is something that we can battle Yes, landfill is getting filled with textiles, especially with fast fashion. It's really difficult to find nice clothes these days because the quality has decreased so much with the price, but the environmental price has increased. So there's sort of this big disconnect in what we're wearing and especially with what we're putting on our children. So I love it. This is this is such a great idea. You're doing a Kickstarter campaign as well. Yes, right. And how is that going? So 
Well, we reached, we reached our goal. So the end of November, we reached our goal of 20,000. And so we're moving into production. We're starting production beginning of February and shipping to all of our supporters and people get excited about it and really be behind the idea and thought that it was an incredible innovation. Most people were thrilled by the fact that we are taking back the garments because I think that that I mean, people have seen recycled content, but the fact that a company is taking responsibility for the end of life of that garment is the real change that we're making. So at the end of life of a Fairchild garment, and this is not just after it's gone through, you know, the life cycle of one child wearing it for a couple of years, um, because we know that the life cycle with children is relatively short. We're encouraging that you pass your garment down or give it to a friend and make sure that that Fairchild garment has really done its job as a hard-wearing, highly durable, well-made garment. So when it's really worn out, we take it back and we disassemble it. So uh, it's got brass snaps in it and it's got reflective transfers in it that have to be removed. And then we recycle the rest of the garment. And that is the innovation with this fabric. Compared to other fabrics made of 100% recycled content, they're not recyclable. So there's commonly a critical chemical antimony in the fabric, which makes it not recyclable. We are still working with uh, recycling partners here in Nova Scotia to find a suitable solution. Ideally, we will be able to work back into a plastic bottle or it might be that it ends up as fuel, but we don't have any infrastructure set up to actively recycle our waste, particularly textile waste. So by the, you know, in five years time, by the time we have a lot of Fairchild garments coming back to us, we will be in a position where we can recycle them. I love it. It's so amazing. Passing clothes on to children is something that is very helpful. Trying to close that loop is something that if you think about it, if every company closed their own loop, if every company was responsible for their garbage, we maybe wouldn't have any landfill or we wouldn't have, you know, our oceans polluted and our roadways covered in Tim Hortons cups. You know, every time I see a Tim Hortons cup on the road, I think, why isn't Tim Hortons responsible for picking this up? You know, and it's obviously because the consumer has purchased it and the ownership has passed on to the consumer, but it's super frustrating. So I love when a company like yours takes responsibility for the end of life because it's something that I think we're going to see more of going forward, but we really need people like you to sort of break the barriers and lead the way. So it's a really good thing that you're doing. So your Kickstarter campaign went well, so congratulations. And you. you're going to start production in February. Do you think you'll have products ready this spring? Uh, yes, we're shipping in February. So we're, our e-commerce platform is the only place where you can buy Fairchild and it will be available beginning of March. The reason why we're not selling more to retail outlets is simply because our margins are very small and our cost of goods is relatively very high. We're manufacturing in Canada and we're manufacturing with basically uh, fabric. So you, it would be comparable to Arcteryx or used in something like a high-end Patagonia jacket. But we're wanting to sell at a competitive price. So most children can access and wear a Fairchild garment. Exactly. That's another problem as well. So if we're trying to get 
ethical clothing into the marketplace, it costs money to make those garments ethical. And it doesn't cost a lot of money to use, you know, these harsh chemicals to mass produce things. And so the majority of people who aren't aware or don't have time because they're busy working and taking care of their children, they don't have time to look into what their big box store raincoat has in them. Yeah, I really do think that recycling isn't the consumer's problem. We have to start creating products that take care at the end of life that do biodegrade or are easily recyclable, but where instead of it just turning into waste that needs to be diverted to a facility or a compost box we, you know we want to create garments that can just biodegrade that would be the ideal situation Absolutely. But if it biodegrades, it can't go to landfill. I have this issue with dog bags. I'm moving to the country soon, but right now I live in the city, so I have to take care of my animals' waste. And I've looked at a lot of bags, and they make claims that they're green or whatever, but when you start looking at the materials, they need to be in certain compostable conditions to actually break down. So if you put them in that compostable bag and then throw them in the garbage and they go to landfill, they're never going to break down. So that's a problem as well. Like I think it's a bit of greenwashing that some companies do. Well, I think it's, I mean, as a combination, you know, the company, it's really has to be a collaboration between government infrastructure and the companies creating the goods that can be recycled or composted. And I, I think that's the disconnect is where companies are creating these goods that can be recycled or can be composted but the other and the infrastructure to collect those and and actually actively make that happen is missing so recycle number seven or recycle number nine it's recyclable but not in most places so definite disconnect between those two pieces coming together I think that eventually the government's going to have to step in do you feel the same way Definitely. And, you know, hope is that the carbon tax will be put towards developing that infrastructure. So tell me a little bit more about your product. So I know you have raincoats, which is excellent, especially in Canada. We have the the Great Lakes, which have a lake effect. So we get a ton of rain if you live sort of north of all those Great Lakes, which is where most of our population lives. And then we also have the West Coast, which is very rainy and highly populated and the East Coast as well. So it's something that every kid Every Canadian kid has, I would think. And you have backpacks as well, is that right? Yeah, so we have a raincoat, rain pant coverall, an anorak, which is a pullover style that packs it into its own pocket. And then we have a rain cap and the backpack. And the backpack has a little roll top and a flap to make it even more waterproof. It's almost like a knapsack rather than a backpack. And it's, there's not a lot of, well, I haven't found a waterproof backpack for children. There are for adults, um, more for, you know, high-end active wear, but for children, they're still running to and fro school in the rain with their backpack and often contents of their bag will get wet. And this is again, when you're outside and it's raining, you may have a second set of dry clothes in your bag or something cozy or, you know, your sketchbook and you don't want it to get wet. You want that to stay dry. Yes, absolutely. So this reminds me of a month ago standing in the pouring rain (laughs) and it was so windy that the rain was coming in sideways. My umbrella was turned inside out, so that wasn't doing any good. Um, We were drenched waiting for the bus and my poor kid like he had his raincoat obviously and I was trying to shelter him but his pants um, he did have rubber boots on of course but his pants got wet and his backpack 
did get wet. And this will also reduce plastic bags because I don't know about you and your children, but my son comes home with so many Ziplocs and we're a Ziploc free house. We don't use plastic bags or we try to avoid them. They're very difficult to avoid, but they come a lot from school because every time he brings a library book, they put it in a plastic bag for this exact reason. So if we all had backpacks that were more waterproof and more suited for the Canadian weather, it would reduce our plastic bag consumption as well. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, I hadn't considered that, but of course, yeah, it comes it's, it's almost like replacing a plastic bag, and it's a re- reusable bag. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I know RYU Apparel. It's a bit like Lululemon. It's a new brand out of Vancouver. I know they advertise a lot their waterproof bags because Vancouver. Okay obviously needs them a lot. So I know they have one for adults, but you're right. I've never seen one for children and it makes so much sense. Canadians have like this unique sort of weather and we have unique challenges because of our our weather. Um, I always said you have to spend a lot of money here to dress yourself because you basically need four sets of outerwear. You need a whole bunch of different layers because in the summer you're blazing hot and in the winter you're freezing cold and there's everything in between. And that provides unique challenges for us. It's so good that a Canadian company like Fairchild is taking this on and especially for children because they're so important. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And what we really wanted to create was an environment where children are encouraged and enabled to spend long periods of time outside. I was inspired by the concept of forest school and that children were taught in an outdoor environment and they were taught all of their curriculum outside and was based around an outdoor experience. So all the games that they played, the language or arithmetic exercises that they were doing were referencing an outdoor experience. And that for me inspires the concept that children will learn to love and be curious about and want to care for their natural environment. So that was kind of the thesis for this collection and for the company. And we hope to partner with Forest Schools moving forward and eventually be able to sponsor Forest Schools with Fairchild Garments. I love it. That's right up my alley. I think the outdoors is such a wonderful place. We did this episode called Ski to Save the Planet, where we talk about this spectrum of trying to go zero waste, but also buying ski gear. (laughs) Or, you know, if you like to kayak or whatever your outdoor sport is, I think it's important to spend the money on that stuff so that it gets you outside. Because if you're not out there, then you don't know what there is to save and how beautiful and amazing it is. So I completely agree. I love that you're on that page. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you have any other recommendations for people who may want to start their own company making maybe clothing or different products or something using a sort of closed loop system like you're using. I would say start with um, the Cradle to Cradle certified website. They've just launched a very cohesive, almost classroom for developing closed loop companies. And they have a directory of, they call it fashion positive materials, where they've certified companies, sorry, more so than partner with them. And that certification guarantees that that product can 
enter into a closed loop circular economy. So that really would be my my starting point and it's an incredible incredibly cohesive experience where they take you through a set of courses on understanding what C2C certification is, understanding what environmental impact is and there's many different levels of um, how your product can impact the environment and it all comes down to energy use to manufacture energy use to create the raw materials and disassembly after the product has been made all of those things come into clear view when they've explained it they also have a competition so if you do uh, develop a prototype you can enter the competition and get funding to actually make that prototype come to life our product is not uh, c2c certified our company is working towards c2c certification but it's yeah it's a it's a lengthy and expensive process so eventually we will get there at the moment there is no existing c2c certified product that is 100% waterproof otherwise we, we would be using a CBC certified product. So we're working towards that and that's that's a future goal. But for anything that is not waterproof, that is a fashion garment. They have denim, linens. They also have some upholstery fabrics that are available for purchase. That's yeah, all on the Cradle to Cradle certified website. I just think there, you know, there really are great resources um, when developing your product to make it sustainable and to close the loop. Uh, the Copenhagen Fashion Summit is a wonderful resource to understand the larger picture of what it means to transform the fashion industry to a sustainable fashion industry. It is a huge topic and it's not easy to make that transformation. So, you know, using that as a resource and then the Cradle Certified website as a resource, I think will transform manufacturers and fashion designers' minds on what is possible. That's awesome. Were you teaching any of this stuff at all? Because I think you were a, a fashion teacher as well. Yes, I'm currently at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, and I teach sustainable fashion as kind of a module of that course. I think that this is going to have a snowball effect. So once we get some companies like yours leading the way, I think there's going to be more and more desire to move toward um, these types of companies. So that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm sure you're so busy because being a parent is one thing and then having a business and then teaching, it's, it's amazing. You sound like an amazing person and I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you today and I can't wait to see your products. I'm probably going to get the backpack for my son when that comes out. So I'll definitely watch for that in the spring because, uh, I love him to be outside and he does have to wait for the bus. So I don't want him, you know, <laughs> being soaking wet all day in school. Most new plastics are made from crude oil, which is not a renewable resource, and it often has a large carbon footprint just to get it out of the ground. Then there's a transportation process by rail, pipeline, or by ship that can lead to disastrous environmental oil spills. And then there's a manufacturing process after that, too. Using recycled plastics for new items is much better for the planet than obtaining and using new crude oil to make new plastics. And if you compare the production of one kilogram of recycled new life fibers with one kilogram of oil-based polyester fibers, the ecological balance is 32% reduction in CO2, 60% less energy, and 94% less water consumption. Instead of 60 liters, only around three liters of limited resources are used to create that one kg of recycled yarn. Perfect. That sounds right up California's alley right now because of their drought issues. And I know that there are a lot of designers in California as well. So that seems like something uh, people in the area might might really love. Mm-hmm. Especially if they started manufacturing there. That's 
that's a big thing. I think we need more local manufacturers. The Canadian textile industry has slowly dwindled over the last 20 years, and hopefully we'll, we'll be working towards creating some of these fabrics here. Manufacturing sales of clothing in Canada peaked in 2002 when the industry was worth $8 billion, then fell dramatically to $2.3 billion in 2010, and has likely continued to plummet since. With competition coming from overseas for cheap clothing, it's no easy process to manufacture clothing in Canada. We certainly have our work cut out for us. Tabitha Osler from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia is leading the way. If you're interested in learning more about Fairchild's products, you can visit their website at fairchild.com. That's fair with an E, so F-A-I-R-E child.com. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram under Fairchild with no spaces. And their Twitter handle is at fair underscore child. This week on my Countdown to Zero Waste, I visited Lauren Singer's shop in Brooklyn called Package Free. I've had trouble sourcing wooden toothbrushes without plastic bristles. If you have a wooden toothbrush, I recommend asking the company about the bristles because a lot of them are actually plastic and therefore not compostable. At Package Free, I found wooden toothbrushes with horsehair bristles. I grew up with horses and I can promise you that giving their mane a haircut is totally cruelty free. I also found some lip balm made by a company called Meow Meow Tweet out of New York that comes in a paper push-up tube. It's vegan, and the packaging is biodegradable. If you like our show, you can follow me on Instagram at Zero Waste Countdown. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you have any questions or ideas for the show, you can email me, laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.